harbor on the earth? That is the question I've been seeking the Lord about. Why? Why did God put the harbor on this planet? Do you know that in Revelation chapter 1, at the end of that chapter, there's an indication that churches are represented by a lampstand or a lamp in heaven. And that every one of those lamps has a star. And that's an angel for each church. So I've been asking, God, why is it that in heaven you've allowed a lampstand, a lamp to exist in heaven called the harbor? Why have you not snuffed it out yet? And Lord, why have you let that angel, the star over the harbor, exist? And I believe to answer that question best, I want to share with you just a little story from my summer reading. I love reading. And um, when I get a chance to read for pleasure, it's a joy. And that story is the story of a man named Adam Brown. Adam Brown. Some of you may know his story already. On Sunday, May 1st, 2011, at 11.35 p.m., we heard our president, Barack Obama, let us know that Osama bin Laden had been eliminated. And he told us that the team that took it out was officially called the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, Development group, on paper, they're just there to test new weapons and do new things. But we know them as SEAL Team 6, and they're kind of the best of the best. And when that came out, that kind of the best of the best were able to achieve this objective, then all the media and all the press, they wanted to get time with this SEAL Team 6. They wanted to find out who they were. But do you know that during those months, May, June, and July especially, May, June, and July, when the press were after them, there was one man that they were wanting to tell their story to. And he's an author by the name of Eric Blem. And they wanted to tell this story. And it was the story of a comrade of theirs who had fallen a little bit over a year earlier. On March 17, 2010, a year before this execution of this operation on bin Laden, their colleague, Adam Brown, was killed in action. And they said, we got to make sure that Adam Brown's story gets told. We're sad that he was not with us for this moment. We want his story to be told. And the result is this book called Fearless. Adam Brown from Hot Springs, Arkansas. He was a daredevil, a wild man. He's the kid who jumped off trees. He jumped off the I-70 bridge into a river just because he could. You know, he was that kind of guy pressing the limit. When he was a freshman in high school, and they have, I don't know what they call that drill. I need your football guys to help me. That when you just pound each other, you know, two guys go at it and see who's left standing. He was the small guy. He was the runt as a freshman. And he kept getting knocked down, but he kept getting back up and saying, let me go at it again, coach. I want to try again. He had that kind of infectious attitude, but also had a heart of gold. He was the kid who, when other kids started to pick on the kid with Down syndrome, he defended him. At the freshman dance, When no one would dance with that girl because she was a little bit comely, he asked her to dance. When they were out on the on the pond in the in the motorboat, and uh, all his friends were taking off their life jackets, he kept his life jacket on because he said, "I promised my mom I would keep my life jacket on." Heart of gold. And then he's the guy who, with some of his friends at Lake Highlands High School. They're the ones who did the kind of senior year dream thing on the football team. Their team had been terrible, but they got all the way to state championship because of this kind of miracle type of event. But when high school finished and his buddies went to college, they all adjusted well, but Adam Brown did not. He 
He tried some college at a local school, but didn't fit in, didn't find the right crowd. His other friends who had been on the team and others, they moved on with their lives, but Adam was not able to. He came back home, began working for his father who had a kind of fledgling electrical supply company going. But Adam got into the wrong crowd. It started with the girl and he just went down the slippery slope into drugs so that he became just an awful shell of himself, lying to his parents. His parents say their worst day was when they had to call the county sheriff on him, get him hauled off to jail because he had stolen from them and was just not improving. Well, Adam Brown did go through Teen Challenge, that year-long program meant for people dealing with substance abuse. And he, he came out okay. You know, he had a foundation of Jesus Christ in his life. He was, he had become a follower of Jesus. But even after the year of Teen Challenge, he came back and then started to relapse. Now, in that time, he started to get to know a better girl, a girl, na- a girl named Kelly. Kelly had had her own story of having gone to Florida, doing the whole waitress thing, doing things that she wasn't proud of. She'd come back to Hot Springs, came to the Lord, and she got to know Adam and fell in love. And at the same time, one of Adam's friend who was going on in the Navy said, man, you just give this thing a shot. So Adam now has got a woman who cares about him very much. And by an incredible, really active God, the Navy accepted him. He had so many waivers, you know, because if he messed up, his rap sheet was so long, but if he messed up once in the Navy, it wasn't just out of the Navy, it was you're going to jail. But wouldn't you know it, Adam gets into boot camp and he's the number one guy in his boot camp. Wouldn't you know it, he signed up to be a SEAL and he goes through the SEAL training and he does that thing and he nails that thing and he becomes a SEAL. And so Adam Brown, this guy who was once on the edge, and he's given glory to God all the way, gets married to Kelly. They have their own, they have a child on the way as he's going through the SEAL school there in San Diego. And Adam Brown, the Adam Brown we knew from high school, starts to live again, and he's alive. He's a go-getter, and he goes all the way. And um, as far as his time in the service, you know, he's the guy who made sure that his friends were sending shoes. So when he was in Afghanistan, he could give shoes to all the kids he saw without shoes. He's an amazing guy. And talk about an indomitable spirit. This man in a, in a um, kind of the last thing, once you're sealed, and kind of the last thing is to get into this development group, the SEAL Team 6. These are the best of the best, right? Now, he gets into that team. He goes through this school to get, through that, to get into that team with one eye missing and with having had to have learned how to work with his non-dominant hand. Because in a practice session, a simulated round, kind of like a paintball, it hit him in the eye. He ends up losing his eye. And then on another tour in Afghanistan, his Humvee turned over on his own fingers, on his right hand. He had to have his fingers sewn back on in his right hand. But he goes through this school, having learned how to fire with great accuracy in his left hand and without his eye. And, you know, it's kind of this, all that house clearing stuff where, you know, everyone else has to use their periphery, but he has to swivel. They call him the swivel neck because he had to do all that stuff. What I'm saying is this is a man who would not give up. And then killed in action on March 17th, doing an operation not, not unlike Osama bin Laden. It was a high-value target, HVT, a guy who was, who was nestled away in the mountains of Afghanistan. You know, they had to helicopter in, hike for six hours, get there, take him out. And it was in a selfless act of trying to protect his team that he gets killed. But my point is this. The part of the story that interests me the most 
is the part of where he was on the edge in that 18 to 22-year-old time when he was strung out on drugs and God had mercy on him. His parents tough loved him. Kelly got to know him and care for him. And somehow by an act of God, the Navy gave him a chance. That's the part of the story that I'm interested in. That's why I think the harbor exists. Six years ago, in the fall of 2007, we sat around as leaders and we said, Lord, give us an identity. We were just called North Shore Community of Faith at that point. Kind of a bland name. And we thought, Lord, we need some focus. We need some direction. What are we to do here? And at a time of prayer and fasting, we felt like God gave us Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, as a foundational scripture for us. And I want to call to mind verse 3 of that. This is prophetically about Jesus, about the character of the Messiah. Listen to what we get here. Verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Wow, the king of all creation, the Messiah, the one who's going to rescue us, he's gentle. And when someone's a bruised reed, and when someone is a smoldering wick, he's going to rescue him. Adam, Reed, Adam Brown, excuse me, was a bruised reed. He was about to be snuffed out, right? About to OD or just be in the drug world forever. But God had mercy on him. And the reason why God has put the harbor on the earth is because we are surrounded by Adam Browns in Beverly, Mass. In the North Shore, Essex County has about three quarters of a million people that don't know that there's a God that can help them. That's why God has put the harbor on the earth. Do you know who another bruised reed was? Another smoldering rick, wick? <clears throat> Get used to my spoonerisms after a while. The Apostle Paul. Can we look at his story? Let's look together at 1 Timothy, all right? 1 Timothy 1, starting in verse 12. Here's another smoldering wick, another bruised reed. Now, he's kind of got an attitude. Paul, um, <laughs> he exhibits it in a different way. But man. He's about to get snuffed out. He just didn't know it. Let's look at his story. If you don't have your Bible, then uh, 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 17, NIV will be behind me. And you can follow along there. Actually, let's do this. Why don't we all stand up? Let's stand and read this together. This is too good. Let's read it from what we see up there. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 17. How are you doing? It's okay to pause. They become pregnant. And God's God's speaking to us. <clears throat> Okay, great. All right, I'm going to read it, all right? If you guys have NIV, you can read with me. If you have ESV, you have a superior translation, I'm sure, but bless you. <laughs> bless you. It's just not an issue here. Uh, I'm just used to the NIV, okay? <clears throat> okay, uh, if you want to read with me, you can. But I'll, we'll just read. Okay, First Timothy 1, 12 to 17. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. 
the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. The context here is Timothy has, or excuse me, Paul has been imprisoned once. He has sent Timothy to take care of the church at Ephesus that was planted. And Paul wanted to get there, but he was afraid of delay. So he went, he sent these instructions ahead. And we get in 1 Timothy 3, the real version, a real reason for this book. And it is that I need to help you know how God's household should act. This is how you guys need to behave. And it's in the context of that kind of instructions to Timothy that he says, hey, and by the way, here's my story. Kind of an intimate moment between mentor and mentee. And let's not forget this. So let's start in verse 13, and then we'll do the bookends, 12 and 17 at the end. I'm starting in verse 13. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Excuse me. Uh, let me start at 13a, very beginning. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Let's not forget our lesson from Acts, right? Paul persecuted the church. He hunted down Christians, even as members of the Muslim Brotherhood are this very hour in Egypt. So Paul and his gang would hunt down Christians to get them to jail or get them to death. He had approval when Stephen himself was martyred martyred, as Paul held on to the coats of those guys who were doing the stoning. And we remember the story that Paul was knocked off his horse on his way to Damascus. And he was on his way there with letters so he could gather up these believers in the way, these new followers of Jesus. Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. But, like it says in 13b, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. How many of you know, and I mean know by experience, And I mean, know in your knower, in your gut, that God loves to show mercy to us, even in our ignorance and unbelief. Has he not done so with you? He's done it with me. I still act in a lot of ignorance and unbelief, and he loves showing me mercy. Man, I feel like multiple times this summer, I keep reminding people, and I remind myself of the mission statement when Jesus came to planet Earth. What did he unroll? When he got up in front of the temple for the first time, we see it in Luke 4, he unrolled what scripture to say, to frame, this is who I am. This is what I've come to do. It's Isaiah 61. Let's recall what it says. What does Isaiah 61 says? It says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the well-off, secure, and content. Right? (laughs) Hello. I've come to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up those who have it all together. No, he's, God was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. I've been sent to proclaim the freedom for those who are already free, the captives. I've come to preach release from darkness for 
prisoners, right? Not the jailers. They don't need it. They got the keys. It's for the prisoners. And I'm here to proclaim the year of the Lord's anger, frustration, irritation, and contempt with all of humanity, right? That's why Jesus came. Just to judge everybody and heap some condemnation on you and me. No. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Everyone say favor. God's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the era of the church and favors on people to come to him. Even Paul's. Even Adam Brown's. Even Ben's. Ben, I need to know how to pronounce your last name because I never can. Petrides, okay? Even Greek Ben, right? <laughs> ben Petrides. He wants to show compassion and mercy, and he loves to do it. He wants to turn us around. And again, I believe that we are just surrounded. I mean, even a two-mile radius, this church is surrounded by Pauls and Adam Browns who need someone to give a word of life and say, this is what God's like. He's not mean and condemning and irrelevant. He's actually very relevant, and he loves you. Verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love there in Christ Jesus. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love there in Christ Jesus. Grace, unmerited favor, and the power to do God's will. Poured out abundantly. Have you noticed from Adam's story? Have you noticed from Ben's story? Have you noticed from Paul's story that God doesn't do things half-baked? He does Big transformations. He's doing it in you and in me. He pours things out abundantly. I love what I just heard from my three-year-old son. And I have to be careful because I can't. I just, I just want to be wise. But JD accepted Jesus into his heart this summer. He's three years old. But, um, you know, I believe that there is a real work of regeneration, a salvific, regenerative work in his spirit because he really understands sin And so we have it written down. I've forgotten the day. I believe it's sometime in July. But J.D. decided to follow Jesus this summer, legitimate. And, yeah, you can rejoice. I mean, the angels angels are rejoicing, right? Again, we've got to walk the thing out for a few years. But step in the right direction. But so Kelsey had the presence of mind later to ask our whole family, how are you different? We all had to respond. So it's on a chalkboard now in our uh, kitchen. How are you different because of God's love? Um, or, you know, since you've decided to follow Jesus, how are you different? We all answered. And J.D. says, J.D. just said, I feel God's love. Now, this is the cool part. Kelsey, again, had the presence of mind. What, to ask, what does God's love feel like, J.D.? And J.D. said, it feels like a fast race car. And I'm just thinking, yeah, that's it, <laughs> right? I mean, J.D., he's just a kid. He knows what he likes. He likes fast race cars. And the love of God to my son is like a fast race car. That doesn't sound boring to me. That doesn't sound religious to me. That doesn't sound like obligation to me. That sounds like my son has encountered some measure of the love of God as much as a three-year-old can. And it's like a race car to him, right? God doesn't do things half-baked. He poured out love abundantly on Paul as he has on you and me. And along with these twin things of faith and love. We are here today. The reason that the flame of the harbor has not been snuffed out is not because anything special we're doing, but clearly it's because of the faithfulness and the love of God. Have you read the Psalms lately? They always speak of the faithfulness and the love of God. 
Man, if you need a little help with your devotional life today, would you please just start reading the Psalms? I guarantee if you're not feeling what that Psalm is saying right there, then two Psalms to the right or two Psalms to the left, there's something that's going to get you, right? Every year I have, to have, I have to think through, how can I get people excited about spending time with the Lord this year? How do we get people devotionally excited? Well, this year, I'm just going to say, have you read a Psalm today? Gosh, it seems like all, like all, of, her, all of church history, all the monks... All of them, that's what they do all the time. They read the Psalms. I think they got something to teach us, right? Praise the Lord. Anyone out there today? Anyone want to read the Psalms tomorrow morning? Come on, get with Jesus. He wants to pour out faith and love and grace to you today, amen? And he does it abundantly. Why is the harbor here? Why is the harbor here? Verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now, Paul says this about... Oh, I don't know, three, four, five times in these pastoral letters. First, second Timothy and Titus. He says, here's a trustworthy saying. In other words, he's saying to Timothy and Titus, heads up. I got something important to say. Here comes a nugget. Well, what is the nugget he's giving us? This saying deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. God put the harbor on planet Earth because he wants to save sinners. I'm the worst. You're the worst. We're pretty bad, aren't we, together? But God came to save sinners. Look at you. (laughs) Look at us. Look what he's done. He's done an incredible work of transformation. Amen. We just heard about Ben's. And I know so many more of your stories. He likes to save sinners. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. Hey, I get irritated with people. People bug me. Am I bugged right now by... Say, gosh, our federal government (laughs) and maybe these legislators in our state and these judges. Am I irritated with a whole bunch of people because of a whole bunch of things that I just feel like our religious liberties, believers, by the minute is shrinking every day. Am I irritated with them? Sure am. But Jesus Christ came to save them, right? And I have to remember when I enter into a civil discourse with someone that Jesus Christ came to save them. He wants to rescue them. Am I irritated that our health care costs are absolutely through the roof and that it seems to me that part of the reason is that all along the way, there are other people who are getting wealthy off our whole health care system? That bugs me. But you know that Jesus Christ came to save greedy people too and profiteering people? I'm not saying that's all that's going on there, but I'm just trying to let you into my heart sometimes where I function and say Jesus Christ came to save sinners, even greedy people. Even profiteering people, the people who cut you off on the road. Would I have had contempt for Adam Brown if I had met him in his dark years? And I'm thinking, I'm giving you every opportunity here, Adam. I'm telling you, go to Teen Challenge. And you're not taking it. You seem unmotivated and unwilling to accept my help. Would I be frustrated and have contempt even in my heart for Adam Brown? You bet I would have. Because I've had it with some of our friends in Beverly who are in similar situations and don't seem to want to change. But Jesus Christ came here to save sinners. Amen? And so we keep loving. And we keep finding the Adam Browns. We keep finding the Pauls out there who just need a touch from the Lord. The harbor exists today because Jesus Christ wants to save sinners. And they're all around. Okay? Verse 16. Let's keep going. But for that very reason, in other words, the reason being, I was the worst of sinners, is what Paul said. 
But for this very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. God's patient as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. I've already alluded to this, but God loves to go big time. God takes a washed out drug addict from nowhere, Arkansas, and turns him into one of the best Navy SEALs that's ever donned that uniform. A thousand people showed up at his funeral. His colleagues, one colleague from the Cape, you know, godless Massachusetts, got to know the Lord. Because after the whole funeral thing, he just realized what Adam Brown was all about. Another colleague who was a, a, a backsliding Christian, he had left his wife, was committing adultery. Another guy on this SEAL Team 6 comes back and gets his life straightened out. I mean, that's just... That's just two of the stories we know. There's so many more. That kid with Down syndrome crying when Adam Brown died. And he said, I miss Adam Brown. I miss Adam Brown. I miss Adam Brown. Because surely he remembered when 20 years ago, Adam Brown had stood up for him. God likes to turn things around. He takes an Adam Brown and turns him into something wonderful. God takes a Saul, breathing out threats against the church, and turns him, turns him frankly into probably the best of both worlds. And what I mean is, when I think of church leadership, you got the apostolic, the entrepreneurial, the let's go get him, let's take this hill. And then you've got the pastoral and the teaching. And I think Paul was probably one of the best of both. You know, entrepreneurial, kingdom-minded, planning churches, but at the same time, so practical with us. Paul knew that Jesus was the kind of guy who didn't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. Amen? I frankly think the leader of our movement is that way too. Jimmy Seibert, the pastor of ACC Waco, Antioch Community Church, he really has got both, man. He's on fire and preachy and, and uh, he's leading this movement where, you know, two years ago we were 10 or 12 churches, now we're 30. This thing's going somewhere. And he is so pastoral, man. He understands the day-to-day. It's amazing. We're so blessed. And God wants to bring the harbor big time, Okay. Now, we sit here, and I kind of have this little picture of our staff, and I love our staff, and I just had this picture of us getting out our little protractors, and our adding machines, and our things, and we're like, ooh, maybe we'll break 200 this fall. Praise the Lord, you know? And I sure hope we do, because we've been trying for four years. But, man, 200 is nothing. Can I repeat the figure of Essex County? There's a quarter of a million people in Essex County, and so many of them have no idea that there's a God who wants to help them. So many of them have no idea... That there is a God who, if they're bruised or broken, God wants to restore and heal. They have no idea that where they feel trapped or sad or in bondage or whatnot, they have no idea that God wants to help them. God has allowed the harbor to exist for six years, and I believe he would see it prosper for the next 60 to 600 or until the Lord returns, because also he cares about eternity. Paul, it says in this verse, was an example to those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Eternal life. Eternity is in the balance once again. Let us not forget. We don't just come here to have a good time, although I hope we do. Sounds like Ben is. I hope you do too. We care about eternal life. Now let's look at these bookends, 12 and 17, and we'll wrap up here. Paul says in verse 12, I thank Jesus Christ, my Lord, who has given me strength. 
that he considered me faithful or trustworthy, as ESV says, appointing me to his service. Listen, God wants to strengthen you today. Maybe you feel like you're out of focus. Maybe you feel like you're not living for the kingdom as you should. Are you unmotivated for him? Not sure what to do? God wants to strengthen you today. He considered me faithful. He considered me trustworthy. Hey, I got news for us. We are all trustworthy because of what Jesus Christ has done, okay? And then on top of that foundation, God considers you faithful and trustworthy because he sees you, okay? He sees you. Mom, when you're feeding your kid and going a little bit crazy and the house is a mess and you're just trying to love your child, he sees that. He considers you faithful. When you're at work and you have one of those awkward conversations where you're trying to share the Lord a little bit, can I pray for you? Ah, that's weird. Or, you know, you try to do it for the waiter at Acapulco's and it comes up bizarre and, well, that was weird. But God sees. He counts you faithful, right? He sees you. When you try to take my advice, it's Monday morning, and you get out the word of God, and you're trying to get connecting with him, and you read a psalm, and nothing happens. And you're like, God, you're distant. See you later. I'm going to work. But God sees you, and he says, you're faithful. Amen? He sees you. And he wants to appoint you to his service. I'm halfway through a book called Joy at Work by Dennis Bakke. Dennis Bakke was the CEO of this huge energy company called AES, Power Plants All Over the World. And they're... One of their three whole company values was fun, okay? <laughs> now, Dennis Bakke described fun at work as having the capacity to make decisions. So that all decision-making just doesn't come from the top, but the people down here near the power plants, you know, near here, near there, they're the ones who can make a decision. Listen, God was pointing you to his service. He wants you to be the decision-maker in his kingdom, the whole whole gospel kind of tells us that. You're an heir. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not just a slave. Amen? He wants to appoint you to his service. And that's when things get fun around here, when you're appointed to his service. And now to verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Ultimately, yes, the harbor exists to bring God glory. He's the king. He's the ruling king. The only thing separating his kingship from all the world that we see not bowing to his knee, bowing their knees to him right now. It's just time, okay? It's just a matter of time before all of creation comes under his kingship. He's eternal. He was and he is and he is to come. He's immortal. Nothing can squelch out the life of God. His life will last forever. He's the only God, right? Our problem is idolatry. We're always worshiping other things, but I'm telling you, he's the only God. He's the only one worth worshiping. He's the only one that gives us pleasure, ultimately. He is the only God. He, no other idol compares to him. And all honor and glory will be his forever and ever. And he's invited the harbor to be a part of that glory. Amen? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's why the harbor exists. And so my, my charge to you is, who is your Adam Brown? Okay, they're all around here. They're at your workplace. Who is your Paul? Maybe someone very antagonistic to the gospel, but with you and a little prayer and the power of God just needs to get knocked off their high horse and brought into the Lord's service. Amen. It's going to happen because you start praying for him. You start loving him. Or even as Ben said, there was a process here with Jeremy. Jeremy didn't hit him over the head with the Bible, although he would have liked to from time to time. But he was gentle and loving and invited him in. Who is your Adam Brown? You find him. You got a little card in your, in your bulletin today. It's a little harbor card. Please don't put it on your refrigerator. That's not where it needs to be. It needs to be in the hand of your Adam Brown. It needs to be in the hand of your Paul, okay? It needs to be in the hand of that bruised reed or that 
smoldering wick that you know in your life and needs to know that there's a God who loves them. Amen? Amen. Worship team, come on up. (coughs) We're going to celebrate today because we serve the God who changes the lives of Paul's and Adam Brown's. And that's what he's doing. Amen? I want you to...